All right, good morning. How we doing? That was some solid worship right there. That was good stuff. God is with us, amen? Good. So you're with me? You're awake? You're lively? Okay, good. Listen, preaching is not a solo effort. I know that it looks like it because I'm up here and I'm all by myself, but it is a group activity, right? In fact, if you're not here, then neither am I. I'm not preaching to empty chairs, and so this is something that we're all engaged in. I need to see that you're with me and you're tracking, and it's good, and I'll do my best to not be awful, and it's a group activity, right? (laughs) Good, because that's actually what I really want to talk about today. There are some things that are designed to be group activities. You need more than one person for it to work. And there are some things that are actually designed to be a solo event and other people would just ruin everything. Right? For instance, you cannot play Frisbee by yourself. Okay, that's going to require at least more than one person. You can try. People have invented a thing called a boomerang so that they could play Frisbee by themselves. doesn't work. I've never seen a boomerang work in my life. All boomerangs are frauds. I will not believe they work until I see it with my own eyes. Frisbee requires more than one person, correct? It's a group activity. But there are other things that you do alone, like reading a book. You read a book alone. I don't want five people reading over my shoulder as I hold a book. Don't talk to me when I'm reading a book. Don't even be in the same room as me when I'm reading a book. I will throw my boomerang at you. That is what's going to happen. Solo event, not a group activity. That's why libraries tell you to be quiet because they know you're not with a group of friends chatting. You're by yourself. Solo event. There are the rare things that are completely um, ambidextrous and you can do them like coffee. I can drink coffee all by myself and it can be great. And I can drink coffee with a group of people and it can be great. Coffee is great. Amen. That is, that is your sermon for today. Um, But it's here, what we all know and understand is that it's weird for you to do something alone that was intended to be a group activity. That looks weird, it doesn't work, it's not going to go the way you want it to go. And the reason I say that is that church was not intended to be a solo activity. But it is something we do together as a community. Your walk with Jesus was not designed to be something that you do alone but it's something that we are all part of this as a family together. We, we walk this road together. It was designed by God to be that way. There, there are no lone rangers in the church. There shouldn't be, right? And, and you'll hear people say sometimes, well, it's my personal relationship with Jesus. It's mine. Sure, technically, but no. No, it's not. It's not. And, and here's I'll elaborate the best I can. If you're married, that is a personal relationship between you and your spouse, correct? False. You married a whole bunch of other people too. (laughs) When you married your spouse, they came with the family. They came with a mom and a dad and siblings and cousins and friends, and they're all part of your family now. Whether you want them to be or not, whether you tried for them to be or not, right? They're your extended family. They're going to be your kids' grandparents. They're going to be your kids' aunts and uncles and cousins. They're a part of your family. You're going to do holidays with them. You're going to pretend to have fun and like your presents. It's going to be a great time. You, didn't, you, you married one person, and yeah, you have a personal relationship with them, 
but you also inherited a whole bunch of other people that you're now also going to have an ongoing relationship with. And if you do those relationships well, then your marriage is going to flourish. But if they're a point of contention and stress, then perhaps that relationship will be also. It's like having a child. Same thing. When you have a baby, it's like, well, this is my baby. I have a personal relationship with this baby. Just me and the baby. Right? No, that's super weird. You would never do that. Right? Can you imagine? Everyone finds out you had a baby, and they're all excited about it. Like, ooh, can I come visit the baby? No, this is a relationship with me and the baby. Well, can I, can I bring you a meal? Can I bring you some diapers? Can I help you out a little bit? No, no, it's me and the baby. It's a personal relationship. No, that's weird, right? The old, the old saying is true, isn't it, that it takes a village to raise a child? You want people around you. When you have that first baby especially, and everyone's like, can we come bring you things? Yeah, all of the things bring them. Can we bring you meals? Don't ever stop bringing me meals. My oldest daughter is 12. You can keep bringing me meals. It's fine. I'm open to that. This is not something you do alone. It's going to work better as a family and as a group of people all doing that together. And I know that these are random kind of exaggerated examples, but that's how ridiculous it sounds when you read through the Bible and conclude that, yes, this is something I do, just me and Jesus. You don't read that in the Bible. You don't read that in the New Testament at all, and you'll have people even, even say crazy things like, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like Jesus, but I'm not going to go to church. As church is, it was weird. That, that's as crazy as saying as, I, I like my new baby, but he doesn't need anyone else. You can try, but it's not going to be what's best. It's not what's going to be the most healthy. It's not going to be a flourishing environment. So we're in week three of this series that we're in called Life Hacks, talking about practical things that you can incorporate into your walk with Jesus to make it more engaging, to make it more effective. First week we talked about journaling, right? And, and that's how we remember what God has done. And, and then last week we talked about what it means to celebrate, right? The people who have the best reason to celebrate should be the best at celebrating, Right? And we should be modeling that for the world and rejoicing all throughout the journey. This week, I want to talk about community and what it means to do life together as a family. What, what it means to laugh together and cry together and to eat together and to walk together, to struggle together, and, and to just be a community of believers. I want to talk about the necessity of not walking this road alone. You should not be walking it alone. It's going to be a necessity for your faith, but also for this church. we got to do this as a family. The kingdom of God is not made up of millions of people scattered around the world all doing their own thing, all going a different way with a different idea, with a different thought. No, the kingdom of God is a family all across the globe. And even though we might disagree on certain things, the main goal is still there, and it's to try and tell as many people as we can about Jesus Christ and to live on earth as it is in heaven. That's kingdom. That's what we do together as a family, and we operate best as a family. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Romans today, and, uh, and a guy named Paul wrote the book of Romans, and he wrote it to a church that was there in Rome. In fact, that's most of what Paul's letters are in the New Testament. He's writing to churches because what, what's been going on is that when I say he's writing to a church, we've got to remember the church at this point is only a few decades old. I mean, that's it. 
They're they're all just starting to gather together in all of their towns and all of their villages, and, and they're sitting down with one another going, okay, so what do we do? Right? What does this look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus together? There was a whole lot of questions. You think about what it would be like to be the first generation of believers on the planet. Right? You don't have a blueprint. You, you don't have any, like Paul, when he's writing to these churches, he doesn't really know what a church is supposed to be and look like yet because he can't go down the street to find out what the other church is doing. Right? They can't go back in time and find out what, well, what did the other believer, no, this is new. And so, all throughout the New Testament, like we're talking the year 50 right now, they're figuring it out. It's 2016. The church has been around for a couple thousand years. This church has been here for like 127. So, we all, we all understand there are systems and structures. We have a vague idea of what it means to go to church and be the church because there's history. No, not in the year 50. So, they're all sitting together for the first time going, so... What's this look like? And so Paul is writing to all of these churches, but with the the, the word of God being, you know, kind of divinely inspired to tell them, this is what my church looks like. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how it's supposed to look. These are the things that we're supposed to be engaging with. And so Paul writes to all of these churches, and we get a great picture of kind of his instructions to the church in Romans chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 6, he writes, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. Remember, this is church context. He goes on to say, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. All right, so there's a lot in there, right? And so we're going to do our best to kind of walk through this and and touch on what that looks like for our context and for our life to be a community of people together. And you'll notice the first few verses are about spiritual gifts. Verse 6, he says, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. That means you. All of you. Anyone sitting down in a chair right now and Ben who's standing. You all have spiritual gifts. God gave you your own, it's like your own unique superpower. It's yours. And you're great at it. And other people might not be. But here's the thing. That gift, it's not just for you to have. It's for you to use. Right? What good is it going to do if you don't use it? Or, and in fact, none of the gifts were meant to be self-serving. You don't have that gift for you and you alone. You have the gift completely to serve other people, right? So if, if you're a teacher, you didn't get that just for you. Oh, I lecture myself every night for three hours. I've been learning so much. It's been fascinating. 
right? If you have the gift of encouragement, you don't stand in front of a mirror all day long. I've just been saying positive things to myself all day. It's been great. No, you're supposed to teach others. You're supposed to encourage others. Whatever gift you have is not for you. It is for the people around you. It's to build up the church and to encourage one another and to grow the kingdom, right? When God gave every one of us gifts, it was his way of saying, okay, team, let's go do this together. That, that was the point. That was his whole goal. In fact, Paul writes in detail about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And when he does that, he uses the comparison of, of God's people, the kingdom, like being a human body. And he's saying, just like the human body uh, is made up a whole bunch of parts, internal and external, they all do completely different things, the kingdom of God is built the same way. There's a whole bunch of different moving parts in the kingdom of God. And you do this, and you do that, and you do that. And if we all wanted to do the exact same thing, that would be very, very bad. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. And what that means, church, is that you have a role to play in the kingdom of God. And if you're not playing it, then the body is missing out. Right? And, and if we're all working together, then that body is going to function at the best possible way. Now, you can't just have rogue body parts. Can you imagine how awkward that would be if one of your body parts just went rogue, started acting on its own? Like your left hand just decided, no, no, I like the body, but I don't like being a part of it. And so I'm just going to act on my own. I'm an individual. I'm going to be different, right? And so you're living life, and you go to meet someone new, and you shake their hand, and the old lefty over here is just going, Pff. <laughs> right? What do you, look, I'm sorry. He's, he's, he's kind of doing his own thing right now. Can't be held responsible for him. He's, he's a bit of an individual, doesn't really want to be a part of the team. Right? No, that would be incredibly difficult and irritating. The body works best when all of the body parts are working together the way they're supposed to. And so that's the first part about what it means about being in community is that you're using your gifts for the church. You're using your gifts for the kingdom. It's going to be what's best for you, but it's also going to be what's best for the church. And maybe for some of you, that's finding a place in the church that you can plug in and serve and minister. And there are tons of places that you can do that. Maybe for you, your gift is best worked outside of the church building. If, if you're an encourager, then encourage people this week, right? If your gift is giving, then, then give generally, generously this week. If it's serving, then go help one another. If it's mentoring, praying, whatever it is, then use your gift. And when you do that, then the body works best. No rogue body parts. That's not going to help anyone. In fact, we're, we're actually going to have an event sometime this fall, this coming year, where we're going to try and walk as many of you can as possible through a spiritual assessment test so you can discover your gifts, so you can find out what your gifts are. Because I know there are a lot of people here sitting right now who just said, oh, I don't have a gift. I know they do, and I know they do, and I know what theirs is, but I didn't get one. Right? You're, you're convinced that you're like the Aquaman of superheroes, where everyone else can do something awesome. That guy can fly, that guy can shoot webs, I can swim real good, right? Like, what good is that going to be, right? So, no, don't convince yourself that you have no value or no gift. You absolutely do. And so we want to help you find out what those are. 
So Paul gets what it means to be the kingdom together. And, and then he goes on to get super practical. In the next verse, he says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. He says, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. I love that he has to say, don't pretend to love people, because that means people were. Right? He had to call it out, because people were faking it. And we still do. We still do. Right? It's easy to look like you love someone without actually loving them. That's fake love. Fake love says, oh, all these things are good and important, but then it does something completely different. Fake love says, you know, I love the people in my church, and then it gossips about them. Fake love says, I believe in what my church is doing, I'm behind it 100%, but it doesn't give a penny. It says, this takes hard work and we all got to come together and do this together, but it's not serving in any capacity anywhere. I love my church, though. No. Don't just pretend to love. That's easy to do. Really love. Really loving someone means that sometimes you walk into relationships and it gets messy. Sometimes real love means walking into things you don't understand and and trying to wrap your head around it. Real love means sometimes you're going to get hurt, but you're still willing to walk into that anyway. Real love has the best interests of other people in mind, not just yours. That's what real love looks like. Pretend love isn't necessarily trickery, it's hypocrisy. It's saying one thing and doing another. And, and Paul says, no, we can't do that. You can't do that, right? I, I love my kids. And so sometimes that, that means I'm behind them and encouraging them and everything's great, right? That happens 8,300 times a day. Hey, Dad, look at my cartwheel. Hey, Dad, watch me do a somersault. Hey, Dad, I made my own sandwich. Hey, Dad, I scraped the dog poop off my own shoe. And it's like, yeah, woo! That's great. I'm just applauding all day for the most menial minor things, and it's awesome. Sometimes, though, because I love my kids, it means I've got to step up and tell them hard things. It means that sometimes you have to step into a messy conversation or you have to get into an, an awkward situation, right? If I love my kids, but if I see them about to run into traffic, if I say, see them taping wings to their arms and they're about to jump off the roof, right? Aren't you going to step up? And you're, you're not going to just step back and say, I don't think this is going to go well. But I don't want to, like, get in the way. I don't want to have a hard conversation. That makes me feel uneasy. So let's just stand at a distance and cross our fingers. No, that's fake love. Fake love says, I hope this works out for you, but I'm not willing to do anything about it. Real love says, what are you doing? Stop, get down. (laughs) It means being the bad guy maybe sometimes. It means being the killjoy, maybe, sometimes, because your, your kids will eventually say, Dad, you ruin all the fun. Yeah, well, you're still alive, so I win, <laughs> right? That's what it looks like for us to be the kingdom of God together as a family. Sometimes it means you keep your brothers and sisters from doing dumb, awful, harmful, destructive things, even if it means a hard conversation. Even if it means it might get a little bit awkward, even if they misunderstand you and hold it against you maybe for a little while, real love steps in and does the messy things, but it does it out of love. It does it out of love, right? 
Paul says in this context, so hate what is wrong together, but hold on to what is good together. Right? So we are all supposed to be helping one another not walk down destructive paths, but to lovingly point people towards the right way and the right paths. We're, we're supposed to encourage one another in that. We don't just stand in the background and say, I see what they're doing. That's not going to go well, but good luck. That's not what a family does, but we do it in love. That's the key to all of this. First Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Paul's writing again. He says, brothers and sisters, so again, church language, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. That's what the church does. And and did you catch those words? If someone is weak or lazy or timid, then you're going to offer a warning when it's necessary. You're going to offer encouragement when it's necessary. You're going to offer care and compassion when it's necessary. And throughout the entire time, you're just being patient with all of it. So even when maybe you have to have a hard conversation, you do it patiently and in love. You, You don't just abruptly walk up to someone and be like, stop it right now. Right? There's, there's a right way to do this. There's a right context. There's a right tone. There's the right words. Right? That's the benefit of being together is that we'll be stronger together and that we've got people around to help us when we need it, no matter what kind of help it is. We know that we've got people who can offer it to us. Right? Sometimes the, the world has this picture of the church where just a bunch of people running around like referees with whistles looking for something that's going wrong. And, and you just run around, you're like, tweet, no, you used a bad word, and it's like, tweet, no, you said something wrong, you watched a thing, you did a thing, you said a thing, and it's just like referees all over the place, calling people out, pointing at the mistakes. The church is not the referees, the church is all the teammates on the field together, right? Trying to tell one another, don't go out of bounds, that's not going to be good for the team. Don't, don't do that thing that's going to stop what we're... No, we're all trying to work for the same thing. We all have the same goal. We all want to move towards victory together. We're not referees. We're teammates. And we help one another because we want to benefit them and also the entire family. That's what it means to really love one another. And if you want to get stronger in your faith, it will happen with people, not apart from people. Nobody grows stronger in isolation. Nobody. That's why it's punishment in jail. (laughs) It's not a reward, right? They think of the most dehumanizing thing you can do to someone to punish them. What is it? Remove them from everyone else. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not the way that we're wired and the way that we're supposed to be. And I know we've all got different personality types, Right? I know that some of you, you recharge your battery being with people. You're here today just going like, yeah, people, woo! You're drinking it all in. You're loving it. You're going to stick around for second service just to keep that battery charged. It's great. Some of you, some of you are here and your battery is just going, woo! I'm with people. I'm with a lot of people. And when you go home, you're going to be all by yourself and it's going to be like, oh, okay, that's good. I understand that we're all wired different ways, and and that's fine. I'm not preaching anything that goes against the way that, that you might be wired in that regard. However, even if you recharge in solitude, your faith still won't flourish without a community. Okay, And I say that knowing full well that I am that person. 
I will go home today and I will pay someone money so I can sleep <laughs> and recharge and it's going to be great. But listen, I know that I am not going to get anywhere in my walk with Jesus if I try and do it alone. We've got to do this together in community. It's each other. It's one another. In fact, those, those words, one another and each other, are used all throughout the New Testament. Time and time and time again. All of the authors write, forgive one another, love one another, pray for each other, bear one another's burdens, be compassionate with one another, confess your sins to one another. Those aren't things you do solo. Right? You can't confess your sins to one another if you're by yourself. And it doesn't count if you're confessing your sins to your cat. Right? Like, cats are jerks anyway. They're going to judge you for whatever you just said. <laughs> and you can't confess your sins to your dog because he doesn't care. Right? Like, Rover, I killed 12 people this week. I love you. Right? You can't. No. You need a person. You need a human. All of those things, loving, forgiving, encouraging, bearing one another's burdens, that requires multiple people. And that is the language that is used all throughout Scripture. If we're going to accomplish what the New Testament asks us to do, it will be as a family. It was not designed to be done in private. We are interwoven together. It's like the old school, right? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. There's the people, right? Like we're together. There's not one rogue guy in there running off. It's, no, we're, we're kind of intertwined. We're supposed to sharpen one another. Like iron sharpens iron. We're supposed to encourage and edify and rebuke and uplift, to show hospitality, to walk with one another. These are not suggestions. These are biblical commands. We do it together. And I would guess that for everyone who's here today who has some kind of an established faith, you're only where you are in your faith because you had at least some other person who poured into you and invested. And if not just one person, you probably had different people at the different stages of your life. And where would you be without them? I mean, really, stop and think about that for a minute. What would your, like, your life look like right now if it hadn't been for them? Isn't that a scary thought? Aren't you grateful for those people who have invested into you? So listen, if you have that person or had that person, it is now your turn to be that person, right? You, you can't just have those people and be glad you did, but then not go be that person, right? That's the call for all of us. We, we all need those people. I am incredibly grateful for those people in my life, all along the different stages. I'm grateful that I had godly parents who gave me boundaries when I was growing up, even though I hated them at the time because it kept me on the straight and narrow. I'm grateful for a youth pastor in high school. His name was Andrew, who, who showed me for the first time. He's a huge guy with a massive goatee, and he drives a Harley. First time in my life that, that a big, scary man looked at me and said that he loved me. And he showed me that you can have a messy, authentic, real, hilarious, fantastic faith. I don't know where I'd be without him. He still gives me an awkward hug every time I see him, and it's great. <laughs> I, I think about my wife who always knows how I'm really feeling, even though I'm pretty good at lying around with all, like lying about it with everyone else. And she offers me encouragement all the time. I'm thankful for a staff team who walks into my office sometimes just to pray for me and to encourage me and sometimes ask for money. But mostly, it's <laughs> prayer. Mostly, it's the good things. I'm thankful for the people 
that come alongside our family and love our kids, even though they don't need to. I'm thankful for the people that cry with us when we're hurting and sad and laugh with us when we're celebrating. I'm thankful for the people who show up with a coffee unannounced and say, I thought you might want this. I always do. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> We've been walking a hard road right now. We've been fostering a little guy for seven months. He's about to turn one year old. He's an awesome, awesome dude, and we've been building a relationship with his parents and with his mom day in and day out for all these many months, and two weeks ago, she took her own life. And our little guy doesn't have a mom anymore. And we have been walking through one of the most confusing, difficult, painful, messy, I never fathomed in my life I would be here. I don't know where I would be without you. I don't know where I'd be without the church. I don't know where I would be without the kingdom of God to come alongside you when you're hurting, to not even say the right things, but just to be there, right? To just to, to bring food and to play with your kids and to love you and to offer whatever it is they can offer. Church, there is nothing else on the planet like the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is working like it should. Aren't you grateful for those people in your life that have been, and, and they have walked that road with you, when you've lost a loved one, aren't you glad you don't do that alone? When, when you've been completely lost and confused because your kids are, are acting out and, and, and they don't know Jesus and it keeps you up and aren't you glad you don't walk that road alone? when you've lost your job and you don't have any money in the bank and you've got bills coming, aren't you glad you don't walk that road alone? Aren't you thankful for all those times that you have had people in your life say, you're my brother, you're my sister, let's do this together. We cannot do this by ourselves. It will not work. It will not be the best. We need one another so this week, I want you to do a couple things. One, I want you to write those people in your life who have been that person for you. And I want you to tell them how much it's meant for them to invest in you and to pour into you and to love you. That'll go a long way. The second thing I want you to do is to think about, all right, who can I be that person for? Who can I encourage this week? Who can I love? Who can I support? Who can I show up and, and just encourage when, when they're down? I want you to think about those people. Hebrews 10.24. Here's another one another verse. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Well, that's part of the church. We're motivating one another. So do that this week. Cheer someone up. Speak into someone's struggle. Encourage someone in their gift. And you know what I've found about people who say, I don't have a gift. Other people know what it is. Right, sometimes we're blind to it completely, and everyone else is going, you're so good at that thing. Really? Maybe, maybe speak into someone's gifting and tell them, you know what I think you're great at? You know what I think you would really excel in? Do that for them. Next verse in our passage, verse 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So let's not neglect what? Doing this. 
Let's not neglect meeting together. What we do every Sunday and Saturday night sometimes matters a lot. Because maybe those six days that you aren't at church, maybe you are kind of flying solo. We need this so much. We need to be together, to to worship together, to pray together, to honor one another, to encourage one another, just to fellowship and laugh with one another. We only get 52 of these a year, right? Every one of them matters. And as a staff team, we make sure that every 52 of them, we've put everything into it to make sure that it matters for that person. They might show up. This might be their first and last chance in church. Every 52 of them matter. Make it a priority. Don't neglect meeting together. Because here's the thing. At one point, everyone in this room, you were a guest. But after a while, you stop becoming a guest and you become family. Right? You're only a guest for so long. I don't know when that line is. I don't know how many visits it takes or what it is. But, but at some point, you were a guest and now you're family. And so what we have to do then is remember that friends, that family and guests have different rules, right? When, when you walk into someone's house, you've been friends with them for like 10 years. You're, you can walk in unannounced, you can put your feet up, you can make a sandwich, that's great, you practically live there. You can't do that if you're a first-time guest, right? If I've never met you and you show up at my door, you're like, hey, I'm Jim, I'm going to come in and make a sandwich, Nope. <laughs> right? Guests can't do that. Family can do that. So, so it looks different, and, and the rules are different, and it feels different. But here's the thing. If you're here and you're no longer a guest, then it's time to start acting like a family. It's time to do what a family would do, to speak like a family, to love like a family, to serve like a family. Right? So th- this is, we, we need all of you to do that. We need that. Verse, verse 13 says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them, and always be eager to practice hospitality. It's the last verse of our passage. Always be eager to practice hospitality. So you should be doing that at Crosspoint if you're family. That means that you're welcoming the guests, that you're loving them, that you're meeting them, that you're inviting them, that, that, that you're in, in kind of engaging with them. Don't wait for the staff to try and meet everyone. There are five of us for 500 of you. It's not going to go well. We will not have guests anymore. What we need to have are 500 people who will step up and say, I'm going to welcome those people. I'm going to love those people. I'm going to connect with those people. Right? So I want you to ask every week, who can I connect with? Who don't I know that I can introduce myself to? Who looks a little bit lost? Who looks a little bit lonely? Can I go shake a hand? Maybe it's an awkward conversation, but it's what family does. That's what family does, right? You shouldn't be able to make it from the parking lot to this chair without at least one person saying hello to you. You shouldn't. Absolutely not. And if you do, if you have somehow managed that, like you Jason borned your way in like a ninja somehow, listen, if that happened, then we dropped the ball. Because that's not how it's supposed to work. You, sh- you should leave this church feeling like, man, I wish people would leave me alone. There's so-, so many people are talking to me. They're just so friendly, right? And it, well, I don't want to have to pay someone to say hi to everyone, but because we have a good family who lives out Scripture and loves people, 
And then listen, that's not just in the church, that's outside these walls. You should be connecting with people, following up with people, checking in with people, right? If someone's in the hospital, go visit them. Well, don't you have a guy that does care on your staff team? Yeah, well, I have 500 of them. Go visit them. Go care for them. Go love them. We'll do it too. But it's going to work way better if I've got 500 people out there loving one another than five. Right? Let's step up and be family. We're all capable of it. Listen, it's no fun to suffer alone, right? It's no fun to celebrate alone, right? So that's why we do all those things together. So your challenge this week, church, is that I want you to go eat food with people. I know, right? It's hard. This is what the church has done since the day that it started. Isn't, isn't that what Jesus always did? Hey, we need to have a talk. I'm coming over to your house. Make me a sandwich. Right? <laughs> Jesus was that guy who would just walk in and make a sandwich. He ate meals with people. Get down from the tree. I'm coming to your house for lunch. He's sitting with his disciples. Let's break bread together. He showed up after the resurrection. What was he doing? He's eating fish at a campfire. He's constantly eating all the time. Half of his miracles involved food and drinks, right? There is no better way to connect with family than over a great meal, right? And, and so I want you, but listen, I want you to find people that maybe you don't know super well and eat with them. I want you to find people that maybe have been going through a hard time and they've been struggling and eat with them. I want you to find people that maybe they're new to the church and they don't know anyone and they're looking around going, what am I going to, like if they don't get connected, they're gone. So we should connect with them. And I want you to know that the staff team have the same mandate and all summer long they're doing the same thing. They're calling up people that we don't know well, they're inviting them over to their backyard and they're saying, let's just hang out together. It's so important to be a healthy family together. Have people over that you know need a laugh. And be sure to offer an environment where there's laughter. Don't. Come over to my house. It'll be fun. If, if you're that person, don't. Just block this out right now. Listen, church, there is nothing on the planet like the kingdom of God. What a gift and a blessing and a privilege it is to be a part of this, isn't it? So let's make sure that we're all doing our part, that we're giving our gifts, that we're serving one another, that it's not pretend love, that it's real love, that we're walking these roads together, and you'll be stronger, and we'll be stronger, and the kingdom will be stronger. Isn't that what we want? Awesome. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, we're so grateful for your church and that this is the way that you set it up. This is the way you want it to work. It's the way that it works best. And, and so, Father, I just pray right now for our family here at Crosspoint, that you would continue to lead us into a stronger, healthier family of believers, that, that we're going out there and loving our city and serving our city and doing this together, that we're seeing more people come into your family, that more people in the, the city would look at us and say, that's a family I want to be a part of. Help us to love each other well, to carry each other's burdens, to speak the truth, and to be patient with everyone. Father, may that be who we are. For those that are here today and they are feeling disconnected and lonely and hurt, God, I pray your, your peace, grace, and your encouragement over them. But Father, I pray that you would help them get connected. I pray that you would help us connect with people better 
that there would be no lonely people, that there'd be no hurting people who are suffering alone, that there'd be no happy people who have to celebrate alone. Help us get this right. And Father, we also think today we've got some cross pointers in Haiti right now, probably worshiping at a church. God, we pray for Denise and Heidi and Jillian. God, I pray that this would be a life-changing trip for them. God, I pray that you would keep your hand on them and protect them and watch over them, that, that all the logistics of this trip would go well. But God, what we really pray is that you would do an incredible work in their hearts and in their souls and that they would see you work on this trip in such a, a, a huge way that you would speak to them and change them and help them. May they come back fired up for you and your kingdom, Jesus. You are a good God, and we love you a lot, and we thank you. And the church together as a family said, amen. All right, so we're going to do this. I know it's first service. After second service, we're actually having a barbecue, so we're, we're giving you training wheels for what it means to eat together. In case you don't know what it looks like, come back at noon, eat food with us, and then you can go do it this week, right? God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week. This is what you see, this is what you get. There's more.